going off track. Coming to you live from Rubber Track Studios in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, comma, New York, comma, USA, comma, Earth. Steven normally doesn't drink coffee. That's true. <laughs> and he did today. It's really true. Thanks to the amazing Stumptown Coffee at Converse Rubber Tracks. It was really delicious, actually. It's really good. I'm not a coffee person. Maybe I should start Stumptown. I don't know. Good. I don't know if you should start. <laughs> what's, what's more addictive than nicotine? Caffeine? Sure. Load it in there. <laughs> uh, today's guest is a uh, young gentleman named Sam Levine. Comedian, actor, awesome dude. Also, Vanessa Bayer. Oh, yeah, Vanessa Bayer, the, the unofficial <laughs> permanent guest host for Going Off Track. Yeah, Stop by I told, again. I told Van- me and Vanessa, I've seen huge Freaks and Geeks fans, Stephen Book Sam, and I was like, hey, Sam's coming on. Do you want to come on? And she was like, yes. Oh, it's glorious. So, yeah. Just, glorious. And uh, you can hear uh, rustling in the background. That would be Brad during the interview, checking everyone's mics and then bolting home because it was holiday break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Santa Claus. Sorry, sorry Miss Sam, but I had it to be was, Santa. Yeah, well, it's important. It is weird being Santa now. It didn't occur to me that I'm mm. Santa now. Wow. They don't know. They just want <laughs> gifts. And then they're confused as a tree in the house. <laughs> that was the weirdest experience watching my kids go, oh, wow, wow. You know, I was annoyed by everyone's throwing out their trees now in my neighborhood. Oh, and like yeah. one, like they just like fall onto the sidewalk and block it. And then like I was like picking it up for someone in a stroller. I was like, I don't celebrate. I don't want to have to lift these trees around. Like dispose of it properly. Don't just like stack it up haphazardly in the sidewalk where everyone has to walk. I haven't, I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember when I lived in the East Village that you would always come across a burning one <laughs> at some point. Usually like, you know. Good. I Once prefer that. That makes more sense. Get, burn it up. Get it out of my way. <laughs> but Perfect. I don't know if it was intentional or just somebody going by with a cigarette. You know, the bad old days. The 90s. Wanna, East Village. I want to hope that it was intentional. Uh, Sam Levine was intentionally awesome and hilarious and talks quite vividly about Freaks and Geeks. And it was super cool. And uh, man, he's funny. And can juggle. Yes, he can do it all. It's going on. Just erase this whole Peter. thing after we do. Uh, <laughs> you joke. I did a podcast like that. Really? No we, we, we we recorded sat and looks like this for forty five minutes before the guy realized he hit the wrong button and they weren't actually recording. Oh man! And there were a bunch. It was like five of us. Oh god! And then they were like, "Well, we have to do it over. We have no choice. Like we they, they work for some companies. Like we have to deliver a podcast tomorrow." And so uh, we sat there and they. These the group I was with, they like tried doing everything again and like trying to make the same off the cuff jokes. But uh, I decided to use it as an exercise in comedy, and I did not make a single repeat joke. Good wow. for you! Wow, good much. for you! It was definitely not as funny the second time. <laughs> <laughs> not as funny. Definitely, my A material was gone. Uh, but I couldn't have, do it. Well, today's guest is Mr. Sam Levine. Oh, and. Uh, we're very, very excited to have you here. This Thank was a you. wonderful thing. I was working the um, uh, the New York Comic Con for MTV Geek and met a, a lovely publicist who Thank you. offered you up to us. Mm. As a sacrifice of some kind? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. She was like, I know this kid, and if you need to exercise some demons, he'll... You can just slit his throat and hang him by his feet. I would like to point out, we are here on what many are considering the last day on Earth. Oh, that's right. Oh, is that right? Yeah, today today is it. This is the last day on the Mayan calendar. So come midnight, I don't know if it's Eastern or Pacific or sometime over Europe, but... uh, It's always good to trust, uh, you know, to to trust that there's going to be an apocalypse from a group of people that already had one. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. They know that things don't repeat. Yeah. God. Ridiculous. Well, uh, this wonderful publicist uh, said, uh, you've got to have Sam on. I went, yeah, we do. He's awesome. Talk We're fans. Get him in here. And uh, you are here in, in the city of New York. I am. What are you working on presently? I see I see your face on my television screen for NBC for a show called Do No Harm. That is correct. Oh. Uh, it's, a, it's a great new medical drama uh, with an edgy Jekyll and Hyde twist. Got it. Uh, the lead character, played by Stephen Pasquale, is a brilliant neurosurgeon by day and a violent, angry man by night. Like you do. 
like you did. Exactly. Which I think most brilliant neurosurgeons are anyway, but he's really got it to the nth. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's an amazing show. It's really engrossing and engaging. And like, I can't believe some of the stuff we're shooting is going to air on NBC. Really? Yeah. It's, I, I, I feel like it's a cable show. Like, oh, wow. honestly, some of the stuff we've done. It's good that I think people are, you know, uh, networks are taking tips from like, well, these FX people are doing some pretty good stuff. Well, Maybe I, we yeah. should. Honestly, you know, it's like they're tired of not winning Emmys for what otherwise would be great yeah. shows. And NBC's doing great right now. We have two NBC people here in the studio right now. Yeah. Weird. Wow. Weird. Did you get, how was the holiday party? It was so good. Donald Trump got wasted again. Really? Yeah. Oh. There was so much um... blood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're a big film guy. You do the, the Doug, Doug Loves movies yeah. a lot, right? Uh, as often as he'll let me. Our friend Tony Thaxton from Motion Soundtrack has done a couple of Oh, yeah. Of I've, I've, I listened to the show, too, so I've heard about him. He's, he's a very good friend of ours. He's been here. Um, I was told you're a big film guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, as someone who myself people say like oh he's got an encyclopedic knowledge i always get very scared when people would say that about me on like music and comics and stuff yeah but do you find that intimidating when people say oh he he knows everything um no because uh you do no it's not that i do <laughs> it's that if there's a movie i don't know i'll just go oh i don't know that one but i'll I, it's on my list to see it what's in what do you have do you gravitate towards a certain genre of films um, I don't say, I wouldn't say towards a certain genre, but there's definitely genres that I do not gravitate towards. Like what? Like, I definitely have a limited knowledge of, like, horror movies. Um, right yeah. Right there with you. Right there like, with you. My, my, my brother loves horror movies. He can tell me all the Jasons, all the Freddies, all the early Wes Craven movies. That, that's a very limited area for me. Do you find that there's um, a period in time? Like for me, horror, like I can, for some reason, I can watch like an older horror flick and not get freaked out. Mm -hmm. But around the time like George Romero started, I'm out. Like I can't, I can't handle it. I get got, got too real for you. Yeah, way too real. Yeah. Yeah. All that all that 1970s blood that was clearly just house paint. Can't do it. <laughs> That's, you know, Hershey syrup mixed with Cairo yeah. and red dye. Yeah. Not into it. Yeah. Not into it in the slightest. Um, uh, you're in Vanity Fair right now. I am. That's so exciting. That's I so, am. What it's a cool ridiculous. Yeah. Oh it's, God. The whole issue is magnificent. Yeah. yeah. I read the whole thing cover to cover on the on the flight on the way over here. It's amazing. Yeah. Nichols and May stuff. Oh God. Uh, oh man, it's just it's such a great issue. Oh, right on. Yeah. Uh, when did you find out you were going to be in it? Uh, when they asked me to be in the photo shoot. Okay. I was going to say, what was that photo shoot like? That was kind of crazy because it's, all, it's like the whole yeah. And actually, if you go online, there yeah. are there's a picture on the the bleachers uh, where the, there's the photo in the magazine is like this big shot of a large portion of the cast standing on the bleachers of this high school. But then we did a couple other versions of that where it was virtually everyone involved in the show, really standing up on the bleachers. Wow. And unfortunately, that one didn't make it on on the magazine, but it is online. Yeah, along with. Several dozen other outtakes. Yeah, um, and it was crazy. It was this uh, weekend in August out in L.A., and wow. I got the heads up like two weeks ahead of time. Like Judd was just had his people send out a thing like, "Hey, we're going to do a Vanity Fair uh, photo shoot. Uh, can you make it?" And everyone, <laughs> everyone says, went. Everyone, everyone went. And somebody asked me like, "How did Judd do that?" I was like, "Because when Judd Apatow asks you <laughs> yeah. to be somewhere, you show up." Yeah. Oh my god, that was such a cool picture. I mean, it's yeah. really awesome, and it's like, I was impressed by how many people were in it. Like, yeah. they included like, you know, a lot of the characters. Even like, even like guest stars and things that people yeah. weren't on every episode, right? Yeah, yeah I like, mean, Jason Schwartzman was in there, yeah. yeah, and definitely memorable. But he was just in the oh, one episode. Yeah, I yeah. totally forgot about that. How how many years has it been since Freezing Geeks? Uh, we shot it in ninety nine two thousand, and it went off the air in March of two thousand. Right. So we're looking at we're looking at uh, thirteen years just about. Wow. That's bonkers. Do you like talking about it, or is it is it like do you, is it kind of like that? There, it's over, or how's admittedly it? a couple years ago there was like a part where I was like, all right, let's just let's move on. Yeah, right. And I was yeah. like, no, nah, hang on, that's stupid because I don't. I always felt like people who have done this one thing that everyone loves. It's like, well, no, it's a part of your life now. Yeah. So embrace it. And I do. I totally embrace it. I'm happy to talk about it. I love it. In fact, I get to see it from time to time now because it's on TV, and I'll just be flipping the channels and come across it and go, ah, haven't seen this in 10 years. Yeah. And watch it. It's like, oh, look at that. 
It's like talking to somebody from the cast of Firefly, you know. It's yeah. one of those stories that just... Firefly. Yeah. Oh, Firefly was a sci-fi series around the same yeah, time. Yeah, Nathan Fillion. Oh. Ran one episode and, you know, they stopped it. You know, it was just weird network crap. Well, one it, episode? He, he, uh, he means uh, one, one season. season. I'm sorry. That's oh. One, it was I knew one 14 <laughs> week episode. <laughs> well, I interviewed Judd about Freaks and Geeks maybe for Alternative Press maybe like five years ago and he talked a lot about the time slot changing and the day changing and he was like whose it was edgy and we did tackle stuff but he was like it was hard to watch it because it was before dvr and stuff oh yeah it was still appointment television back in those days and in in the late 90s and uh and yeah no we definitely i've spoken very openly about it we we got screwed by the the guy in charge of programming who I've previously named. I won't name him now. You could look it up. But uh, but yeah, he, he didn't get the show. I don't know. I, don't, I hate to say it. He wasn't like malicious about it. He just didn't get the show. Right. Yeah. That was not his high school experience. He did not connect with it. And since the buck ultimately stopped with him as to how often we were on and where we were on, that's basically what happened. We never really got a, a fair chance. It's so obnoxious. No, what were you, how did you get to that point of Freaks and Geeks? Where were you before then? Uh, I was living in North Jersey, uh, auditioning for this and that here in the city mm-hmm. on, a, on a nearly daily basis. I had very good representation at Were you the doing time. stand-up, too? I was. Yeah. I was. I was doing stand-up and uh, auditioning. And, you were uh, pretty young, though, yeah. right? Like you- I was uh, uncomfortably young to have been doing that kind of stand-up. Because stand yeah. yeah, I was going to say. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... I was 12 years old when I started doing stand-up professionally. Oh, my gosh. And uh, it was... I've seen... The, there's video. There's weird sets. Like, I was doing weird stuff. Like, if I saw a 12-year-old kid doing that now, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, there's something wrong with him. Like, he's not going to grow up well, <laughs> adjusted, healthy. No. What got you into stand up? Who, who did you like? Um, actually, I mean, I loved ever. I loved Bill Cosby. I loved uh, Richard Pryor. Uh, but ultimately, what pushed me over the edge was Richard Jenny, uh, the late, great Richard Jenny. Yeah. Uh, in 1993, he had an HBO comedy hour called Platypus Man. Yeah, it was great. Which I thought was just about the funniest thing. He had a TV show called Platypus. He sure did on on yeah. UPN, mm-hmm. followed by Pigsty. I'll be here all week. Um, <laughs> uh, I am mean, unaware of Pigsty. Yeah. It was on UPN. Was that before the Secret Diaries of Desmond Pfeiffer? That I believe it was before, but it, and it was also before Shasta McNasty. Oh, dude! Uh, yeah. I auditioned for that. <laughs> I remember auditioning for that. This and is who, the ultimate nerd off. By the way, <laughs> you know who got that? Um, Crazy person's kid. Yeah, yeah, Busey. Jake yeah, Busey. yeah, G- Jake Busey not- got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember. And he got it. See? Yeah. Oh God, it's about a white rap group living in Malibu. I That's think. Right. I remember. I might have saw the script floating around somewhere for that. You should sell that, man. I had, it's got to be worth something uh, now. That's amazing. You should sell it to Sam. What? <laughs> Cheap. Seven dollars. Yeah. Um, ah, oh, that's crazy. Ah. Uh, so, and yeah. So then, Rich Jenny yes. was was what. I memorized that that comedy hour, Platypus yeah. Man, wow. and I used to do it for like my friends and family. He had another one, Stop with the Kicking, I think. Uh, that that's uh, that's actually Kevin Pollack. Oh, that is of. Kevin. No, yeah. wait, no. Enough with the kicking or stop with yeah. His is was uh, his was. Are you uh, friends with him? I am friends with Kevin. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, uh, Riches were uh, the uh, boy from Brooklyn. Oh my right. God, I'm embarrassed. I can't. Crazy from the Heat uh-huh. and uh, a good Catholic boy. Okay. He was phenomenal. So sad. He, um, oh yeah. He had such a great. I don't know. I just, I just always loved the bit about the fight mm-hmm. that he did. I never forgot that one where he's, he's a guy challenges him to a fight in the south, and the guy says like, "You must think I'm some country asshole." And he's like, "You know, I've been drinking." The comedy ca- catches in. No man, you'd be an asshole anywhere. It's like he hits me, I fall down. It's like I'm not used to that. From New York, you have a little setup and all that. Am I doing this right, Richard? <laughs> yes, you are. Okay, yes, you are. you're doing it justice. Yeah, he, I really enjoyed him. <laughs> yeah, no, he was, he was fabulous. Yeah. So what were you doing bits about when you were 12? Yeah. Like, like current events or like... Um, no, I joked, you know, I mean, I, I joked about my parents, you know, things that happened in school. Um, <laughs> one of my jokes that I... People were like, so what did you tell when you were 12? Come on, come on. And I was like, um, all right, one of the jokes that I used to tell was that, uh, you know, it's hard for me to to find time to write all my jokes, you know, because uh, I'm in school most of the time. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there trying to write good jokes for you guys. And, you know, my teacher's going on and on about Columbus or whatever. And then she's all, Sam, you're not paying attention. What are you doing there? And I'm like, hey, teach, look, 
I'm trying to write some gold over here. Gold. And you're bothering me with Columbus? That's never going to come up in real life. So it turns out detention is a much better place to write my material. There you go. That's a 12-year-old sin. That's a great joke. Thank you. That's awesome. And then when you so you audition and you would do uh, gigs, would you always do stand up wherever you were shooting and doing things? Uh, no, I I I continued to do stand up after I moved to L.A. when I was seventeen. I did it for a few more years, and then I, it's not that I my I lost my love for it or anything. It was just it became doing stand up in New York versus doing stand up in L.A. It at the time in the in the late nineties, it was night and day. Like New York, you could get a spot at any club where they knew you. Uh, you know, if they liked you in New York, in LA, it's like, you got to go through your agent or you have a th- oh. thing and you got to know someone who knows someone. And, and at any point, you know, uh, uh, I don't want to pick a, uh, let's see who, who should, I'm trying to pick a name of someone who I know for a fact has bumped people off of, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to name names, but a super famous person could walk into the room and be like, yeah, I want to do 10 minutes. Uh, and then whoever's up there is getting pulled down. And then, you know, a huge movie star is going to go up and says 10 minutes, but he stays up for an hour. And then it's like six comics lose their spot that night. Right. And like that happened all the time. And I just kind of got like, eh, well, I started doing stand-up when I was a teenager because I thought it would be a good way to get myself out there and maybe get myself further as an actor. And now I'm working as an actor, so maybe I don't need to focus on it as much. And so then I just sort of stopped doing it for a long time. And uh, and only recently did I kind of get back into it oh. just because uh, – I had more time on my hands and I had funny things that I was writing down that I had no real venue to express other than Twitter. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I was like, why am I doing this on Twitter for free? <laughs> I often wonder that about comedians when they tweet some joke. I'm like, is that is that a throwaway they don't want to say live or how does that work? Sometimes they do it to test the waters. Ah. How mm. many likes does it get or whatever? I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> 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 likes is Facebook, retweets is Twitter, <laughs> But I was going to say, like, it does seem like, and maybe you were like this at some point, but I I started doing stand-up a little bit in college, but I more did it in Chicago. And mm-hmm. it seemed like certain people, like, had to do it multiple times every night. And, like, still, like, I still know some of those people, and they still will do it, like, every night and everything. Yeah. And I personally, I was, a, I like, I thought it would be, like, a good, I, I still like doing it, and I, I, I like how it, like, affects, like, acting and, and stuff like that. But I don't have that, like, I just, to me, I, I just don't have that thing of like i feel like i always have to do it and like i i don't know There's, yeah I, no i know just, exactly i know exactly what you mean the mentality richard jenny was exactly like yeah. that he was always writing always had to get up and try out new stuff see yeah. how it's gonna fly and i do not have that yeah yeah it's so fun to do it but then like it, parts of it are just like so yeah. exhausting and the worst like, thing that can happen to you is to become that successful yeah because the and i love this comparison you look at a comedian who will sell out a theater and a band who'll sell out a theater and when a band comes and the people fill the, the room what do they want to see the band do what they know play all the songs they know when a comedian shows up what do they want to hear all new material every time, except a couple people who really like hearing yeah. stuff from the CD, from the old albums. Yeah, <laughs> so weird. That, weird. that was the last time I did this podcast. We brought that up. Oh yeah, yeah. Jonah yeah, said that. Interesting. Interesting. I've, heard some, I've heard some. I've heard other people exactly. say that. Yeah, but it's, yeah, but it's totally true. It's, it's very accurate. It's like you the, know how you get past both those things. Mm-hmm. You'd be a musical comedian. I know. I, you know, like Steve, Victor Borga. Exactly like now Victor that, Borga. That is for your fans of over age 60. Well, you have to be. Well, it's for our Danish fans as well. I, you know. I, opened, I opened for a guy who did that at Zany's in Chicago, and his name was... Stephen Lynch. No, what was his name? Because <laughs> he kept being like, don't get my name wrong, and then I got it wrong because I got so nervous. I'll think of it by the end of the podcast. Uh, St- well, there's a oh, comedian. Stu Grip... Stu Grip... Stu Grappier. I'm sure that you did not mess up his name. (laughs) I just, he made me so nervous. He was very nice, but he made me so nervous that, that, like, I thought I was going to, and then I did. I messed up his name. I, like, blanked on it. Dude, I don't, I find. I was hosting. I've played in bands and I've hosted shows and introduced bands which is the worst job ever mm. up next because who cares about the who are you ready to rock guy it's the dumbest thing <laughs> um i think stand-up is just the most petrifying like, i get a pit in my stomach when i hear people talking about it because i find it so petrifying and i was such a fan 
like in the 80s watching every HBO comedy special. Oh, yeah. On, everybody. And I, I think I watched Robin Williams live at the Met until I had it memorized. Mm-hmm. And it's so good. But that, to go out by yourself, at least with your band, you're like, at least we're all in this together. But by yourself, things you've written to put that out there. I just I think it's the hardest job and it's just admirable. Oh, no, I I mean, yes, but here what you have to think about is by the time you're seeing someone do a comedy special on TV, that material has been said out loud yeah. 200 times right. in front of varying crowds and he's tweaked it here and there and I mean, it's gotten to a point where he knows it's going to kill. Right. The tweaking, that's what gets me. It's like how many times do you say a joke and then you're like I change it from a the to an adverb. Like, yeah, I, and you can st- – in New York, still comics do this. You'll get three gigs in a night, and you'll tell the same joke slightly differently and bring your little recorder and then figure out which one got the best laugh and then go up the next night and do it that same way at all the next three shows. And if it gets the same laugh, you know that's the way to do it's it. It's like you're constantly demoing until you're ready to yeah. just hit the road. But I, what I always do is like I always think stuff's funny that no one else laughs at, and then when everyone laughs, I'm like, eh. So I feel like <laughs> – it's that must be weird too to like your feet using the audience as like a gauge, but also mm-hmm. everyone has different taste. Yeah. How does yeah. Zach Galifianakis tweak? <laughs> I have no idea. So we would see him live, it'd be like, oh, that's great. What? No, you don't get this? Well, that's also how you and I are with every band. That is true. Why is there no one here? This band's um, amazing. Mm. I just saw you in something I forgot you were in like three days ago, oh, which was. That's uh, so Raven. Thank you very much. <sighs> you were incredible. Were you in? Thank you. I was. Were you really? I, I didn't was. Know just that. one episode. Yeah. Oh, oh, did that get you tickets to Sister Act? My, uh, <laughs> no, that hadn't happened yet. Oh, okay. That you were in two yet. episodes of this show. Are you Undeclared? Yes. Okay. Oh, I was going to bring that up. You're so funny in that show. Oh, thank you. I had never seen it. Everyone kept being like, you have to see Undeclared, and I had never seen it. It's a really good show, I just show, watched yeah. the whole series like two weeks ago. I yeah. watched it in like three days. It's great. Oh, cool. Yeah, that character you were was so great. Oh, thank you. It was so dark, sort of. Like, I felt bad for him. Yeah. Like, it was... It really affected me. <laughs> I don't know. That was, that was tremendous fun because that was the first thing I did with with Judd after Freaks and Geeks. How how long after was that? That was that few... was uh, two thousand one. Okay, when okay. Undeclared. Yeah, so it'd have been about a year and a half. Okay, okay. Uh, and uh, and I mean, talk about a, a departure from Neil oh on Freaks gosh. and Geeks. Yeah, that was, and that that's when uh, only, it was a few years after that that I ran into Judd again, and we were talking about. All the you know parts that I'd done and undeclared freaks and geeks, and that's when we determined that I really only play one of two characters: either the nerd or the mean nerd. (laughs) (laughs) So, undeclared was definitely the mean nerd. When you tell that dude to switch to decaf (laughs) every time, I cannot control myself. It's so good. Oh, thank you. That was uh, uh, that scene. So the guy was smashing me in the chest, <laughs> and we keep doing these takes after take, and I'm like, I pull him aside. I'm like, dude, you know, you don't have to hit me that hard. It'll read on camera. <laughs> They'll add a sound effect of you smashing me. You don't really have to lay into me. And then he just keeps doing, keeps doing it. And then, I mean, you can actually see on in the show, you can see how red the little bit of skin on, on my upper chest is. <laughs> And then years ago, or years later, I run into the guy, and he's like, dude, I always felt so bad about that, because I kept smashing you in the chest, and you kept asking me not to, but then Judd would pull me aside and be like, really lay into him. I mean, really lay into Levine. I want to get him steamed. And so... <laughs> Did you ever ask Judd about that? I don't know that I've ever mentioned. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, good times. <laughs> Oh my god! And that and the um, forgive me for not remembering his name. The the British dude in the oh in, Charlie Hunnam. He's going to be in Pacific Rim. Oh yeah, the Guillermo del Toro um, kaiju movie. Uh, Hunnam is one of those insane actors where he, from role to role, you can't recognize him. Yeah. He really transforms himself. I realized he was in that movie Children of Men like two years after the fact. Really? Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, check that out. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that movie, but I have to like go back and see that's him. Yeah. I'm very psyched for Pacific Rim. It's going to be great. Um, I think you're probably right. God, that Del Toro. Uh, speaking of uh, great directors and fabulous movies, you were a bastard most inglorious. I, I was. <laughs> yeah. I was a bastard wow. and remain. Yeah, that's so, wow. That's I, uh, How did that come about? Uh, that, was, that was interesting because uh, I have been a huge fan of Quentin's as long as he's been around. And uh, 
I had heard through the grapevine that he was a Freaks and Geeks fan. And back in 2003, when he was out promoting Kill Bill, uh, I knew he was going to be on Jimmy Kimmel Live. And I've known Jimmy a while. And I used to go hang out backstage because he has still the best green room in late night. Do you play poker with Jimmy Kimmel? No. Okay, I heard he has a big poker game, and I know you're a poker guy. I am. I've not played in that one. Okay. Um, but uh, but anyway, I, I weaseled my way into the green room on the night uh, Quentin was on, and uh, and I introduced myself, and I, and I was like, "Yeah, hey, I heard you're a freak skeeks face." Like, "Oh yeah, man, I love that show. It's great." And he's crazy high energy, and then he goes and does a segment, and then he comes back, and we just start talking. We're just sitting in his dressing room, and we just start talking and talking and talking, literally. We're the last two people there. Security comes in and they were like, look, we don't want to kick you out, but we want to go home. And so after 90 minutes of talking about movies and everything, uh, he goes to leave and he's like, hey, man, it was really awesome talking to you. Maybe we can work together someday. I was like, yeah, that'd be all right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so then I don't see him for five years uh, until I hear that they're casting Inglorious Bastards and they are specifically looking for young, funny Jewish actors. And I'm like, well, come <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> and so before I can even call my people to be like, I got to get in on this, they were calling, looking <sighs> for me. And so I went in and had this general meeting with him. That's all he was doing at first was having general meetings with people, wow. not making them read, just wanted to shoot the shit with them for a few minutes. And so I go in and he totally remembers meeting me and talking to me and everything. And, and, uh, and we talked again for like 20 minutes and then he gives me the script. He's like, hey, man, read this over the weekend. Come back. I want to have you read for a couple parts. And so I, you know, it was crazy. I went in the next week and read with Quentin. When he auditions you, he acts opposite you. And, uh, and so I read uh, first the Udovich part and then the Donowitz part that played by Eli Roth. And when we were doing that part, the scene we read is a scene that they shot, but unfortunately did not make the final cut along with hours of other footage um, where uh, it's a scene with Cloris Leachman. And, and Donna, I don't want to talk about the scene too much because I know Quentin really loved that scene. And I think he has plans to maybe release it in some other medium at some point because I think it's kind of an amazing scene. But it's it's the, the backstory to Donowitz and the bat and how he winds up winds up in, in you know, Europe with it. That's incredible. And it's, you're a huge film fan anyway. Yeah. With Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah. That's got to be ridiculous. It was outrageous. And he's one of those guys who wants to talk about his work. Like, you can ask him, oh, well, what was the thing in this movie? What about Pulp Fiction? What about this in Reservoir Dogs? And he'll talk for a half hour about it. You probably know the films that, like, he's, like, paying tribute to, you know? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I would always try to figure out what he was, you know, paying homage to and ask him, like, is this a tip of the hat to... And you go, yep, yep, you caught it. Oh, God. Yeah, he was great. So sneaky. That's phenomenal. How long did you shoot that film? Um, that movie, God, we started in like, I think, September. And I think it didn't wrap until January or February of 2007? No. Eight? Yeah. We shot We shot 2008 into 2009. I just always go back to that scene with, with right before Eli Roth, you know, pulls out the bat and nails the dude. If you guys it's just all laughing, it's just like just creepy. That creepy, we shot creepy, that scene over the creepy. course of a week. It was a seven-day scene. That whole sequence in the ditch. God, yeah, that's bonkers. I mean, of course, you know. And yeah. uh, do you think that? Um, well, you can't speculate on what the director's going to do, but I just love it when directors release what they think the director's cut. You know, right? And a lot I'm of people have asked fan. me about that. If there'll ever be like a director's cut of of bastards. And then I have to tell people the bad news, which is Quentin has final cut on every movie he makes. Oh, okay. So what you see in theaters is the director's cut. Okay. Um, so anything that's not in there... I withdraw the question. No, no, no. no. It's a fair question because I want to know myself. And uh, he's one of the, like, eight directors who truly has final cut on every film he releases. Wow. So he's a lucky guy. Damn. Yeah. Do you have a preference of television over film? I've, it varies. It depends on the project, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, Do you find there's a big difference aside from this has to be done in a month as opposed to six months? Or uh, I mean, you can. it depends what kind of work you're doing on like a TV show. Like if you're doing like a multicam, that's mm-hmm. kind of great because then you can have a life. Yeah. Uh, but if you're doing a single cam drama like, the, like Do No Harm, like we're shooting in Philly, I mean, 
I don't where I barely work hard on that show. I'm very <laughs> lucky. My my work is is fairly limited, but our lead Stephen Pasquale, the guy is literally on set 15, 16 hours every single day. Wow. And they've been shooting a lot of six day weeks too. So he's got he's got nothing going on right now in his life except shooting this show. Yeah. So it can it can be draining. You know, when you're doing a, a TV show like that that can go on for years and years and years and you're just stuck on set all day shooting and shooting and shooting. Um, you know, but movies can be fun because there's always an end date in sight. You know, you know that you're going to be finished with it and then you can move on and that's that. How'd you get involved with the Kevin Pollack chat show? Uh, Kevin and I met a long time ago. We met at the Friars Club Roast of Rob Reiner wow. in the year 2000. Wow. And uh, and I've been a huge fan of his, he's of course. Uh, and he is great. He's fabulous. And um, and then we uh, talked a, a bit there, but then we really didn't connect, uh, you know, afterward uh, until some years later, he found me. He he sought me out, and uh, we had the same manager because he wanted to he wanted to shoot a bit with me, uh, which we ultimately didn't shoot uh but i think he told me it was a ruse just to hang out with me anyway that he wanted to pitch this bit to me and so i, I had lunch with him and uh his girlfriend jamie and uh we all fell in love and we decided that we we're all going to be best friends for life right on and uh and yeah that was like four years ago more wow yeah that was right before inglorious bastards because i've listened to kevin pollock's chat show mm -hmm. and uh specifically i started with the nathan fillion episode because i love good him. episode and you guys just, he was so funny because in the middle, he said, well, when you edit this, and Kevin went, we don't edit this. Mm -hmm. This just goes out. Oh, yeah. And Nathan Fillion was like, what? Oh, that's the magic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not about, it's laziness. I Nobody wants mm -hmm. to sit there for two hours and go, all right, this can't be in there. This is pretty good. No, we don't want to do that. How often but, do you record it? Uh, every Sunday, as as often as we can. Right. It gets a little, it's been a little choppy uh, because I've been out of town and then also anytime around the holidays, it always gets tough to book guests. So we'll probably come back uh, towards the end of January with, you know, a full slate. Wow. And did he say, I'm going to do this podcast. I want you to be on with me. No, no. That would make it sound great uh, for me. No, in reality, he asked me to be a guest on the first episode. And then uh, I had so much fun when he was like, I said, hey, can I come back next week and watch the show? He's like, yeah, of course you can come anytime. So then the next week I went back to watch and then I just wouldn't stop showing up every <laughs> Sunday until finally he was like, I'm just going to have to give you a microphone and a camera because you're saying funny stuff, but I have no way of seeing it. So I insisted on a mic and a camera and that, <laughs> I won't give it up. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so great. How many episodes? Uh, oh boy. 160 something, I think. Wow. Yeah. I love the whole podcasting world. Well, obviously. Yeah. Because we're here and digging it. And it's just how everything's connected and people doing stuff. And I think right now there's a, a neat boom where the development people are culling podcasts for television shows. Which mm -hmm. is like, oh, that's where they're going now. It used to be websites. used to be YouTube and all things. And now they're going there. It's just fascinating. That's not me saying, hey, give us a TV show. Because we've done that, haven't we, Jonah? We have. Yeah. We're over it. Finished. Was that Shasta McNasty? Yeah, it was Shasta McNasty. <laughs> no, we did a music show on a channel called Fuse for a while. Mm. It was called Stephen's Untitled Rock Show. Yeah. Stephen was the host. Jonah was head writer. Right? Remember, yeah. how, remember how you got the head writer position? We found out someone in, someone from another show was calling themselves head writer, and Jonah yeah. was the only writer. And I went, Jonah's a head writer uh, of the thought, rock show. I really thought you were a head writer. No, I started just calling myself head writer. I was yeah. the only writer. I used to tell my friends you were a head writer. I used to tell everyone I was a head writer. <laughs> was. I'm the head writer of my life. So. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote everything, and he would write it like the day we shot. It was, was <laughs> lazy. We'd have three guests, and we'd be like, what are we doing today? Crap. And we had, you know, we did three shows, four shows a day. Wow ridiculous well it was video rap stuff so it's like you had a guest for about 12 minutes but then it was like here's my chemical romance again you know? <laughs> and that kind of fun stuff but it was this is more we actually found and this one thing i like about the kevin pollock show is that uh whenever we would meet the guests in the green room and start talking mm -hmm. it's just way cooler than the interview oh yeah and we try to limit that yep like we have our guests show up pretty close to when we start shooting so that there's no banter before the show that's too good to to not have on the show that's why we were thrilled you said i have to go pee because then we can just start 
I'm so glad. And I took a long time in there, too. I really wanted to build the anticipation <laughs> of what's going to happen when he gets back. Because we were like, does Sam have a urinary tract? Mm-hmm. And so I was reading in that Vanity Fair article, they were saying, start to go back to this, that Martin Starr would like go to the bathroom for like 20 minutes every time. And they and one of the women that was talking about it was like, I couldn't tell if he was like fucking with everyone. <laughs> uh, uh, in, in Martin's defense, that was a wardrobe fitting. <laughs> oh, it was a wardrobe. It wasn't the, it bathroom, wasn't the yeah. bathroom. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, because one, one of them was like, ooh, he could probably have a serious drug problem. And the other was like, yeah, it just takes him a while to get dressed. <laughs> yeah. He's not good at buttoning You're things. Right. Right. You're right. You're yeah. right. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, Sorry. Go. No, I, I I read the same quotes. Yeah, it was Deborah McGuire, our costume designer. Yeah. And yeah, Martin, you don't know with Martin whether he's fucking with you or not. Yeah. 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 When you, so it was wardrobe, funny. not bathroom. Just yeah. to clarify. He is so funny too. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. The the opening of that show, the way that everyone is caught, like the way that everyone when you, when everyone's sitting down for their uh-huh. photo or whatever. Yeah. It's so funny what they choose to put in there. It's like the best. We. Shot that our last day of shooting the pilot in like 30 minutes. Like, I don't even think they knew what they were going to do until <laughs> we had the setup there. And they were like, and you can even see it. There's it's literally us walking in a circle and like standing and waiting <laughs> yeah. to get called up next. Because you can see people like hanging out in the back left of the screen. Yeah. And like until they get, and we recycled through that probably five or six times. All of us just sitting down for a second and then getting up and walking away. And they were like, "Okay, cut. That's it. We'll we'll figure this out." Right, right, right. And that's right. our intro. Oh my god, it's so good. The the faces that everyone makes are so not like the standard face that yeah. someone would make. I've been watching a lot of Nine Two and O because someone else at my like my old friend, school or new school, old school, old okay. school. I've been watching a lot, like DVRing it, and it is like so opposite. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's that's not a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just kind of wanted you. to get that out there. But it's just so because their intro is like everyone's smiling. Like oh it yeah. Just, anyway, this is so dumb that I'm talking about this. Cause it's, it's so obvious, dumb. but um, it just I love. Well, my point is that I love how <laughs> not like that it is. Thank you. Also, the photographer in that uh, opening who you see occasionally come in and adjust someone's hair. Yeah. And whatnot, that's John Daly's father, actor R.F. Daly. Whoa. Yeah. Wow, that is interesting. Yeah. Um, I have a question about Freaks and Geeks while we're doing it. What was yeah. it like for you when you got the script for the Hermaphrodite episode? Or did you, was that, because that was so atypical yeah. from anything I've ever seen kind of before or since on TV. I Absolutely. Um, I mean, that I was not at all involved in the storyline. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think it it struck me as like, oh, this is crazy. But I I remember reading it and thinking like, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this on TV. I, I wonder how they're going to shoot it and how it's all going to come out. In fact, I think the first version of that script that I read was kind of different than than what ultimately they shot. I know that script went through a lot of tweaks, and a lot of the scenes in there were largely improvised. Really? Between Rogan and, and the other actors and stuff, yeah. Wow. How much imp- how much improvisational freedom were you given on Freaks and Geeks? Too much for that age. <laughs> <laughs> Way too much. Oh so especially the freaks, especially so much of that stuff with them was off the page. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's cool that it's encouraged. You know it was you heavily encouraged. In fact, that's how they often would write those scenes. They would Judd would bring Rogan and Siegel into the office into his office and just be like, I want to do a scene where you guys fight about you know, this band. And so then they would just jump into character and start doing a scene. And Judd would just be scribbling down notes and recording or what have you. And then that's how the scenes would often get written. That just amount of trust, you know, from the person mm-hmm. who hired you to bring you in is huge. Huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's incredible. When, um, was, did you know, or do you know, if mm-hmm. Freaks and Geeks knew that it was going to end? Oh, we all knew. You, you all knew. So, so I mean, you- we all knew. Nobody wanted to say it flat out. But when when you do a, a show uh, like that on a network, they, the initial order is usually for 12 episodes. Mm-hmm. And then everyone talks about getting the back nine, which is an, epi- an order of nine more episodes that your total is 22 for the first yep. season. And... Uh, Everyone was, oh, we're going to get the back nine, we're going to get the back nine. And the network ordered the back one. They ordered one additional episode. We went, not a good sign. 
I don't think they like us very much. They do not seem to have Wrong faith prime in this. <laughs> so yeah. So when we shot that that bonus episode, uh, Paul wrote it and directed it, and that episode is actually Discos and Dragons, the finale. We wow. shot as the thirteenth episode. Oh wow! Because he wanted they wanted closure on the series. Yeah. And so that's why they shot that episode, which sort of it it could they could have fit that episode in virtually anywhere mm-hmm. in the in the order. And uh and then after that they miraculously somehow ordered uh I think four more episodes. And so then those episodes aired before Discos and Dragons in the, you know, order. Uh uh actually they didn't air in that order because NBC pulled us before we could air most of those. But then the Fox family channel put us on the air and aired them in that production or the, that episode order, not production order. And then on the DVD, that's how you see them with discos and dragons as the last episode. I have to wonder, I mean, I'm a big fan of Firefly and read all about that with what happened with that show and very similar where they got, they ordered a pilot episode and then they made the pilot and the network said, change the pilot, do another one. They're like, wait, what? And they aired it differently. They aired everything out mm-hmm. of order. And it's like everything they did was wrong. Everything that the creators did was correct. And then it developed this huge fan following. It's cult-like after the fact. Mm-hmm. And people love it. And it's almost poetic and awesome that it was finite. You know? Yeah. It's like um, wood freaks and geeks. I mean, of course it would. But like it has so much power and love because it ended. And people know that it was wronged. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, I think it's a testament to how awesome the creators were and how much talent there was to be used. For, Thank you. you know? Also, I think in the, in the aftermath, I think it's easy for people to catch up on that series because it's only 18 episodes. It's like when you, when someone says, Oh, have you seen the wire? You're like, that's a commitment. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's five I, I, seasons. You're so right about it. that's a, that's totally, you know, true. you can, you can do freaks and geeks in a weekend. Yeah. And feel wonderful and sad yeah. and thrilled. Yeah. Oh, so the good. Wire, you're just going to want to go sell heroin. I, You know, actually, my <laughs> wife and I did watch The Wire As over a five-day period. Please oh don't give God. any spoilers because I haven't seen it yet. Oh, God. Omar's white. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, Have you always been a movie nut? Uh, yeah. yeah. My my family, my, my parents are big film people. Really? So. Like what? What films? Um, I mean... It, well, look, I don't, I don't, the, the Godfather, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, so I can't say any specific films because there weren't like, oh, we have to watch this every week. It was like, enjoy films, love films, l- learn about films. See, my dad would always have, would always, we'd always watch the Marx Brothers or W.C. Fields. Oh, sure. Marx Constantly. Brothers, huge. I, I, and then I took that on my own. My father introduced me to the Marx Brothers and then I ran with it. So like, bad. I made it my job to find whatever video store I could rent a Marx Brothers movie mm-hmm. at. Because, you know, this is before the internet, before yep. DVD. You, you really had to find these movies. Do you have a favorite? Animal Crackers. Oh, good. Wow, right on. You didn't say Duck Soup. That's- no, that's too easy. Yeah, that's first. Uh, animal Crackers, I love. Yeah. That, the, the, there are jokes in there where you miss when you're a kid and uh and then you go back and you when you're like wow i can't believe they slid that one past the censors tuscaloosa in alabama the tuscaloosa now what about have you ever seen the show california dreams oh, stop. oh of course <laughs> so Are you kidding? Obnoxious. <laughs> Sorry. do you why ask would, all the guests why this? would you do that steven do you not? I don't care. Do you, Wait do you a minute. An episode. Yeah. <gasps> we're trying to figure out. I Please, I was on four. You were on four episodes. <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought you were just on one. Before we started doing this podcast, this had come up maybe once, and now it comes up every week. <laughs> oh, that's fabulous! I'm going to go to the Museum of TV and Radio, yeah. and I'm going to find because those if episodes. If they don't have it, then you have to ask Can for it. Then they things? have to take money to find me, and that's Can, cool. Can you mm-hmm. tape things? From the, you, I'm sure you can. No, you, you can go to viewing your booths. iPhone up. We were saying we had. <laughs> yeah, this, you could probably. We had this conversation earlier that I was saying they don't have everything there, and I know that because right. I tried to watch the last episode of Dinosaurs. Which, they don't have the last episode no, of Dinosaurs. Is you that not on DVD? You know why? I'm too sure fucking sure sad. That's DVD. why. Okay. It's too sad. But you, you, <laughs> do you know about that episode? Did they become extinct? Yeah. 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 It's so sad. It's terrible. It's so morbid. We all knew they were going to become extinct. And then become oil. But we did you think about ending it. Freaks and Geeks with just the world ending when the show gets canceled? <laughs> it had been kicked around the writers' room. 
Oh my god! Like Oz not just blow popular. up the prison. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's another show. It's a commitment. Oz, if you sit and watch that one, that is a commitment. Yeah. yeah, I watched that as it aired, though. Me too. Yeah, that was a that was a hard show. That was a rough show, and I've worked with J.K. Simmons a bunch since then. Really? Yeah, he is so awesome and nice. Yeah, and I felt so bad for him. Because, and now he does all those commercials. Yeah, yeah, the, right? the State Farm. Yeah, but like in Oz, you're just like, or is it Farmers? Farmers. Farmers, yes, is, yeah. yes. Uh, sponsored by Farmers today. Mm. Um, well, my friend Mark Evan Jackson is in those with him. Oh, really? So I, I want to give him credit. All right on. Yeah. Mm. Also, Al Madrigal, who's on The Daily Show, yeah. which I love. So yeah. there you go. Let's credit everybody. Okay. I don't um, want to give anything away. I'm sorry. No, I don't want away. to give anything away, but when you do Doug Loves Movies, do you yeah. have kind of a strategy? Because so much seems where you're sitting. Oh, do you mean in terms of the Leonard Malton game? Yes. Uh, no, I, I mean, in terms of the seating, you get what you get. Right. We just did the 12 guests of Christmas last week, and I will say that I wound up sitting in what had to have been the worst seat, because I think the first three rounds all wound up with me having to either name a movie or force someone to name a movie. How and out Malton- of 15 people who were on the stage, it was pretty weird that it wound up on me three times. Yes, that is weird. How does the Leonard Malton game work? Oh, dear. <laughs> okay, good. I it's know like, it's Malton- like name that tune, yeah. but with movies... Okay. And then you, uh, the Leonard Malton movie guide, you're familiar with it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. You start, you, if there's, say, 15 names listed for a movie, mm-hmm. you start bidding from the 15 down, mm-hmm. saying how many actors' names you can name it in, but the list goes from the bottom up. So if, you know, I say to you it's a movie from 1989 and there are 11 actors and it's a, a movie uh, that has, a, I don't know, a, a mem- cast member of three amigos in it mm-hmm. uh, and there are, you know, 11 names, how many can you name it in? Wow, that's hard. And, and so then if you say it. like four names, I'll only read the bottom four. Yeah, so then you'd say you can name it in 11 names and then, oh, I can do it in 10, 9, 8, 7. And then when it gets to a point where it's like, okay, five names, then the other guy says, okay, name that movie. So then you only get five names. And then you can also go into negative names <clears throat> where you have to actually name people. Right. If you feel like you know it without receiving any names, you already know the movie, then you can bid either zero names, just name it, or negative names. And then you have to name the movie and then starting from the top of the list down in order, start naming the actors in the movie. What AFI sadist came up with this? Oh, well, it's a th- – this version of the game – that it is now, it's been tweaked over the years. Okay. It's a game that, it's my understanding, Doug and Sarah Silverman and a couple other comics sort of developed as like a game they could play on the road. Where oh. All you needed was the Leonard Malton movie book. Uh, and you could play that anywhere. And, uh, Man, yeah. That book is ridiculous. It is a ridiculous book. It's insane. It's yeah. like, it's like, what, it's like, how do you eat? All, all you do is watch movies. Yes. What show did he? What show was he the critic on? Was it Entertainment Tonight? Uh, yep. He was yeah. on ET for years. Yeah, because it was Gene Shalit who was on the Today Show, right? Yep. Okay. What's frustrating for me about the show is when there are guests on that have no idea how to play it, where like it is, half the show is. It is also dark. very frustrating for me <laughs> as a fan to listen to that. And uh, yeah, no, <sighs> it's it's tough. Yeah. Now, um, do no harm is happening. Do no harm is happening. It's going to start airing Thursday nights, 10 p.m. starting January 31st on NBC. Oh, oh Thursday. The not old, a, the old ER night. slot. No, very sm- slow night for night. TV. That's so great. Yeah. So you could be following Parks and Rec. Uh, I think when we initially start airing, I believe we're going to be following 1600 Pen. Oh, that's which right. Which yeah. I saw the first episode on NBC the uh-huh. other day, and I got to tell you, I was pleasantly surprised. Oh, good! It is it is remarkably funny. Good. I, I mean, I, so I hope people check that out. I and dig us Josh as well. Gad a lot. Yeah, so I think he's, he's a so, super funny guy. Is that thing he does on uh, my own damn channel, uh, uh, Gigi? Yeah, that's really fucking. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, yeah. Are you a big music fan at all? I am a huge music fan. What do you like? Classic rock. Like uh, what? What's classic rock to you? Because when I was a kid, classic rock was. 20 years prior. Sure. So but here's, here's my argument to that. Here's yeah. my argument to that. And I realize it's a losing argument, but I'll, <laughs> I'll run with it anyway. I like to think of classic rock as an era specific to huh. uh, like when someone says do up, like, you know what they mean. Mm-hmm. And I think classic rock is like 19, say 66 to maybe 1982 at the latest. Hmm. Interesting. I think that's the classic rock era because okay. you've got the Beatles putting their best stuff out, the Stones putting their best stuff out, Zeppelin, The Who, mm-hmm. uh, Cream. You have all the seminal Brit rock bands 
putting out their edgiest, most you know, hardest stuff in that era, and I think that defined the sound. I I, I see where you're going with it, and I'll counter with this story. By I have a girlfriend. Uh, I've had several. Uh, one I married. <laughs> Uh, this one in particular was in Los Angeles, and we were driving in a car, and uh, Disco Saturday Nights was on mm-hmm. in L.A. And I remember I had to turn this shit off before I kill us both. Yeah. And she went, she got really upset. I went, I thought you said you like music of the 70s. And I went, yeah, Stooges, Ramones, Bowie, Clash. Like, what are you talking about? You know? What was it like on One Life to Live? How old were you when you did that? <laughs> Somebody's got IMDb. That's right. You were, I still watch General Hospital. Boom! Oh. Flipped it. <laughs> I was uh, 14 or 15. That's great. That how the long first, were you on it for? I was on one episode. Oh, my God. Uh, the, here's how I got that gig. Um, I got the call, I think, that morning that I had the audition, that afternoon, and they were specifically looking for kids who could juggle. Wow. And uh, and I, I had taught myself how to juggle the previous year. And not well. And uh, and so I show up to this audition, and it's me and two other young kids. And uh, I did not bring anything to juggle. You know, I didn't think that <laughs> Yeah, you that just assumed they'd ahead. have stuff there, yeah. So I show up at this at this audition, at, you know, this, the casting director's offices or what have you. And, uh, and then this one of the other kids who had shown up brought two limes. And apparently he had a third one, but he said he dropped it on the subway. Side story, what a 13-year-old is doing riding the subway alone, I don't know. But <laughs> he, a different time. I guess so. Uh, so, uh, so then I get called in to, to, to go first for whatever reason. And then the casting director was like, oh, honey, c- can we borrow your limes? And I felt really bad because I was like, no, I shouldn't get the benefit of his having brought limes because I didn't bring anything. But I guess I'm going to juggle with his limes. Well, yeah. And at that point, you couldn't say like, no. Yeah. I didn't ask. She asked him. So he was like, oh, yeah, sure. And so he hands the limes. And then we get into her office. And then she's looking around her office for a third thing to juggle. Now, I can tell you as a as a now experienced juggler, juggling items of varying weight yeah, is not easy. No, so and hard. as a beginner juggler, that's really, really hard. And this, I swear to God, this is what she picks up: a round glass paperweight. Awesome. <laughs> oh, off of her desk my God. to be juggled along with these two relatively light limes. And so I start juggling these things, and I juggle for like twenty seconds. No, I'm, it's probably it was probably six seconds. Yeah, uh, in in reality, and I remember like struggling so hard, like okay, the thing's coming down, you know, the heavy goddamn <laughs> oh thing is, and I I juggle for like just a few seconds, and I, just, I like put it all down in her desk. I was like, ha ha, done. She was like, that was great, thank you. And then uh, and then I go outside, and then she goes to call the second kid in, and then I felt so bad. The kid's sitting there with his mother, and the kid's got tears in his face, and she's like, what's wrong, sweetie? And he goes. I don't know how to juggle. Obviously, his agents just lied, straight up oh. lied. When they were like, we, oh, we have to see kids who can juggle. And the kid just could not do it. And so she was like, that's okay, honey. We'll call you in for something else. And so then the kid who brought the stuff goes in. And I was, I was waiting for the elevator. And he gets into the room. And six seconds later, all I hear is thud, <laughs> which I know is the paperweight hitting the floor. And oh so then I was like, God. I think I'm going to get this job. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't believe she did that. Yep. Wow. And you're still juggling. <laughs> yes. Wow, that's great. How Just as you, a hobby. How yeah, did you teach still. yourself to do that? Because I feel like I tried for four seconds. I'm like, this is impossible. I mean, the the, I, the, the klutz, remember with a K? Yeah. They had a book called like Learn How to Juggle. And it came with these three little bean bags, which I still have. I still used to juggle. And uh, I was really sick. I had like a walking pneumonia or something when I was 12. You had that once. And uh, yeah. it was it was awful. And I was just, I felt like crap most of the day. But when I was feeling up to it, I would I got this book as a gift and so I kind of read the book and like learned the basics and then I would just stand over my bed and just practice juggling for hours and hours and hours. See, it's the commitment. Wow. You can never do it. I tried it myself and someone said after you'll get it it's after um first you get like four passes that mm-hmm. you get. Then you'll get like eight. Then after 12 you're fine. But uh, juggling is like riding a bike. Once you learn it, you've got it. You won't have to go back and relearn it. 
Do you see that Boardwalk Empire with? Um, I don't watch the program. Oh, it's a good show. I will. I mean to. It's. I literally. This is not a joke. I have thirty-three episodes of Boardwalk Empire on my DVR. Thirty-three. It's a commitment. I when we were at this um, thing last week, and there was a guy from. Um, this is a dumb story. I don't know why I started telling <laughs> you. Started. There was a guy from Too Boardwalk late. Empire who was there, and but I knew him from when he had a guest role on Will and Grace. And so I almost went up to oh, him. Oh, Bobby was, Cannavale? Probably. Yeah, yeah, really tall? He was like, he played like Will's boyfriend. boyfriend. Yeah. So I almost went up to him and was like, you were so great on Will and Grace because I thought he was really great on Will and Grace, but I don't watch Boardwalk Empire. And I was like, do you, and I said to my friend, like, do you think it's okay if I tell him like he was so good on Will and Grace? And she was like, do not tell him that. She was like, he's a star of Boardwalk Empire. He's also it will in be Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross with Pacino right now. Well. He's also in a really great movie called The Station Agent. Yeah, with uh, yeah. Peter Dinklage and yeah. uh, uh, Patty Clarkson. Like, like I know her, Patty. <laughs> you know, like your friend. I feel like we're all confirming that your friend was right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes me yeah. feel even better about yeah. not going up to him and saying that because I was like, I was like so ready to do it. I was like, he's probably probably no one tells him that. And it's like <laughs> such a huge. Um, so really, sorry. classic rock. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt that. By no, the way. no, yes, not that. at all. Vanessa. Not at all. Do you, do you find like the punk bands since they're pre eighty two? Do you, they fall into the wheelhouse of classic rock? Too? Some. I agree. Yeah, I think it's a good point to make. Huh. I'm a big Stooges fan, and uh, you know certain Bowie stuff. I'm very specific mm-hmm. about him. But I found that when I was in high school, a lot of the um, non freaks or geeks would listen to Zeppelin or Pink Floyd or stuff, and mm-hmm. they turned out to be more jockey and rude yeah and, and for and for a long time i just associated that with them and so i could never ever get into it and the guys i started hanging out with at first it was all glam metal that changed very quickly when yes, i heard did. when i turned minor when i listened to minor threat then i was like okay that's, <laughs> that's kind of where i think i belong yeah. we'll stay over here we'll leave bon jovi who is great i've seen them many yeah, times yeah. i enjoy them a lot but the classic rock i was associated with just big mean football players no yeah way. Um, I I don't have that same association. No, uh, that is different. No, I, I Zeppelin is my favorite band. I realize it's an easy thing to say, but I'm sorry, they're fucking amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like they never wrote a bad song, and they referenced um, Lord of the, the Rings. Rings quite frequently. You know what's interesting is uh, about classic rock is I don't know if kids still listen because me and Vanessa have a cousin who's in college now. Yeah, and I was like, do you guys? I feel like those are rite of passage. Like in college, you listen to Zeppelin and the Beatles yeah. and stuff. I was like, what do you listen to? He's like, Skrillex and electronic music. And I'm like, do, do people listen to Zeppelin and that stuff? And he's like... No, they listen to Pearl Jam and the Foo Fighters. That's what they I, I don't even think that they listen no, to I that. No, I don't think they listen to I that think either. That, like, or at least him and his friends, which, I mean, I think they're the only college kids I know because I'm 33, but... Uh, they were like listening to Steve Aoki, Skrillex, which is fine. But like, I was like, when you're out, he's like, right. no, all the time. The problem is, it's one of those things where there'll never be less music than there was the year before, right? For them to be exposed to, right? And you know, with that generational gap now, they've got like fifteen, twenty years of extra music to catch up on before they can work their yeah. way back to Zeppelin and Floyd and all that. Yes, and seven hundred million other mediums of distraction. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and I genres like and the, like I feel like the pop, like the football player type guys when we were in high school, which weren't necessarily the coolest guys because we had a pretty like Jewish high school, so it was like not really like I mean you, I, you go to yeshiva. <laughs> what happened? Fifty like percent, you know, okay. but 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 um, but I feel like they listened to like the most popular music. I think it was whatever like, big band was in yeah. town. Like, like I remember so Jam, many guys had those. A- T-shirts that said "Goo" from Goo Goo Dolls concerts. Yeah. I remember that. I remember when American Gladiators came to town. Everyone had those shirts. <laughs> yeah. Mm, ice. Yes. Um, what was that? That other Laser. band? Um, you know, all those bands that were like no, Weezer. No, Weezer. I love, <laughs> but you know, like those ones that are were, were like, um, who are you waving to? Brad had to leave. But uh, he, since he runs the joint, he has access to the cameras. Oh, so yeah. he just texted me. He just said, I'm always Where watching. Where is the camera? Oh, yeah. That's it. No, I didn't yeah. notice that. That's so funny. Oh, I noticed it. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. away. I, I demand to be paid when I'm on camera. This is, you know. Crap! Cut the this feed! Is, this, is, this is what I do for a living, guys. Come on. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a union. Ugh. Yeah. 
Man, well, now, thank you so much for coming by. Oh, dude, we're so psyched you came is. by. Oh, my absolute pleasure. This was awesome. No, please. This did not this feel like a podcast. So I felt like hanging out and having a conversation. Yay, the point. Yes, that is the best mm. compliment you could give us. Uh, Sam Levine, probably, we've had, most everybody who's come on has been super nice, but man, that dude afterwards went, you guys need a ride anywhere? One, yeah. most people don't drive here. Usually it's kind of a subway culture, but he's like, I'll give you a ride. It was just so nice. None of us took him up on it. Maybe we should have because we all just. I got a ride from our last guest, but oh, not right. from Sam. But yeah, Sam, awesome. Such such a, a dream to have him on here. That was uh, that was unexpected. His, his wonderful PR person I met at uh, New York Comic Con, and she was like, you have to have Sam on. And lo and behold, he was here. Uh, his new show is called Do No Harm. It is on NBC Thursday nights at 10 o'clock as he said in that coveted er spot so right that's a good one if you dig us go ahead and click onto our facebook page facebook.com slash going off track we don't have comments on our website because who has time really seriously Uh, but on our website is a little button you can click with your mouse and or finger depending on your computer system that says donate if you like what you are hearing go ahead and send some money our way we will put it to good use and by good use i mean well the coffee's free so i guess we're just going to keep it (laughs) anyway we'll see you guys next week and by see i mean you hear us